Uh, it has been said uh, repeatedly that we are in a historic moment as a nation, and quite frankly, we are. And this is a historic moment for each one of us personally to be living through uh, a time like this. And it's a historic moment for uh, Old Town Community Church. And the reality is this is a, a watershed uh, moment, and there's, a, there's just a really good chance that, that we'll continue to need to update and adjust uh, ministry because of everything that's happened. When you think about the impact of the pandemic and the recession and uh, the issues of uh, structural uh, racism, uh, there is great work, much work to do uh, for our church. And a lot of it will be defined by how we react to uh, this moment. When we turn the page to 2020, no one uh, dared dream that we would be faced with a pandemic and economic recession. And many of our brothers and sisters of color have been trying to get our attention about the reality of systemic racism. But I don't think that anyone would say they saw the ground-shifting response even in this area that we have received this year. During this time, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but historians have, have taken a look back and they've tried to learn from centuries of, of racial struggles, or as it relates to the pandemic, they've tried to learn from the 1918 Spanish flu. It's been interesting to see how generations that have gone before uh, endured and weathered moments like this. And uh, some have also leaned in, and they've started talking about the impact and responsibility that we have, not just for our lives, but for generations to come, and how we respond to this moment as a nation. This moment as a nation will impact generations to come, our children and their children's children. Our daughter Margot wrote recently in a blog post for her church, generational sin plays a core role in the injustices perpetrated through centuries that have built our society, systems, and ideals. The twisting and misinterpretation of Scripture through centuries has led us into the moment in time we live today. As Patty Leach put it, our decisions have descendants, and we are in a reckoning right now. Our decisions have descendants. Our decisions, good decisions and bad decisions, have impact. And by God's grace, we want to make good decisions that have a powerful impact on our family and by God's grace, we want to repent and pursue healing and forgiveness for the bad decisions so that we can be restored and renewed. The text we heard earlier is a classic example of a keen awareness of generational impact. As fathers and mothers, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, we can touch the future in the way that we influence younger generations today. So today, what I want us to do is I want to get really practical with this powerful passage from Deuteronomy, and I want us to look at how we can influence the future with our faith. But before we do, I want us to each go to a place where we would just allow the names of our loved ones, our children, our grandchildren, maybe even for some great-grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, I would just like you to allow them just to start scrolling through all those people in your family of a younger generation. Allow them to scroll through your heart and in your mind. Bow your head and close your eyes, and let's just lift them 
before the Lord this morning as we pray together. Let's pray. God, now as we think about future generations, as we think about our children and our grandchildren, as we think about nieces and nephews, as we think about those in future generations that we have impact upon, even if we're not related to them. Lord, we want to lift them up to you. And we want to say that in faith, we do believe that what we do today can have a positive and powerful impact on their future. And so, Lord, as we open our hearts and our minds today to your word, come to us, fill us, challenge us, shape us, and equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. To have generational impact in your family, you can lay a foundation, first of all, by anchoring your family in the story of God. I've maybe have shared this with you before, but uh, some have labeled something, uh, a a phenomenon, what's called the mystery of Jewish achievement. Uh, For example, just take a look at these stats. The Jewish people have 23% of all Nobel Nobel Prizes, 51% of Pulitzer Prizes, 54% of World Chess Championships, 38% of our most philanthropic donors, 37% of the Oscars Best Director Awards, and have had conductors at almost every major U.S. symphony and significant impact in the world of business. All of this achievement is from a people who represent two-tenths of one percent of the world's population and a country that has been beset by displacement and discrimination. Leonard Sweet, one of my doctoral professors, has a theory about this. His theory is that the reason why Jewish achievement is so high is that for those who are practicing Jews, from the time they are young until the time they leave for college or into a career, they are constantly grounded in the great story of God and their people. This is wonderfully ritualized in a bar or bat mitzvah. My professor goes on to say that when Jewish teenagers leave home for college or a career and other endeavors, they have a powerful sense of identity that has already been shaped. When most kids who are not Jewish leave home at the age of 18, we actually say to them, why don't you now go and find yourself as a rite of passage, as opposed to to taking wings and taking flight, full well knowing their story and their story being anchored in the story of God. Now, this passage says a great deal about following the commandments of God, but is not offered in the context of knowing a rule book. It is offered in the context of being rooted in the story and the promises of God as made to the people of Israel. In the preamble to the Ten Commandments, for example, we see the phrase, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land, of slavery. So right there, before the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, uh, those beautiful commandments that, first of all, the first four are all about the love of God, which we heard about in our passage. The last six are all about our relationship with one another. And here we see God establishing their relationship before he gives the commands. This is almost verbatim of what is written in verse 12 of our text. And so we see over and over and over in the story of the Jewish people, we see it being anchored 
in the story of God. Moses not only anchors it in the story, but also in the promises. As the people follow God in trusting obedience, they will be blessed and they will receive the great promise of of inheriting a land that is flowing with God's blessings, that's flowing with milk and honey. A Jewish child would constantly hear that we are part of a greater covenant between God and his people. We've been delivered out of the bondage of slavery by the hand of God. And God has rich blessings in store for those who are faithful to him. You know, one of the things I I like to talk about often is is helping your family, and, and not only your family, but you as an individual, to anchor your life story in the arc of God's story as seen in Scripture. And the arc of God's story as seen in Scripture has just four parts. The first part is creation, that God made us in the image and likeness of God. Uh, the second part is that uh, we, we fell, we, we sinned, and when we sinned, our relationship with God was, was broken. The third part is that God has, from that moment, sent a rescue mission to the world, and that rescue mission culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ when he came to reconcile us back to God and to deliver us from our sins. And then the fourth part of that story is how God is at work in the world right now, restoring and redeeming and renewing humankind and putting us back to the way he intended. So we see four parts. We see creation. We see the brokenness through the fall. We see rescue in Jesus Christ. And we see renewal and restoration. And let me just encourage you, as you consider your family, and as you consider your role as a parent and a grandparent, as an aunt and as an uncle, do everything in God's power to anchor your story in the arc of God's greater story. Let me just give you an example of how this plays out. Let's say you, you are a parent and you have a child and you start in the second part of that story and not in the first part of that story. You start to see, okay, wow, my child did this and they did that wrong. And that's all you focus on. Instead of first starting with the first part of God made you wonderfully, God made you in his image. Uh, okay, wow, you did something wrong. But wow, look, look how Christ came to rescue you and to forgive you. And just as Christ forgives you, I forgive you as a parent. And wow, look at how your life can be restored and renewed and how you can have hope and you can have a second chance even when you've blown it. That's so powerful. That's the major arc of the story of God. Or it could be misunderstood in a different way. Uh, Some parents can maybe start in uh, the first part uh, you're made in the image of likeness of God. You're wonderful. You're incredible. You forget the second part of, you know, we've all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. And you end up uh, just idolizing your kids and putting them in the place of God and, and so forth. So see how important and practical it is to know the story of God, know the big storyline, and constantly anchor your children in it. As Christians, we are children of the new covenant, which is made possible by the blood of Christ. And every child needs to know that God created them and loved them, that God has rescued them and set them free through Jesus. And in him, we have spiritual graces and blessings. So let me encourage you for families of all ages and stages to capture the story of God for your family and make sure they know their legacy of faith. Notice Moses says, this is for your children and their children's 
children. I keep this Bible where I can see it just about every day, and it was my father's Bible. I, I don't uh, I know I've shared this with most of you, but I really didn't know my father. He died when I was 18 months old, and he was 27. And I, I knew his parents, my uh, paternal grandparents, uh, but I really didn't know about their journey of faith at all. And I do know that, that my mom's parents didn't raise her in the faith. And so as far as I know, my story of faith starts with my father. And somewhere along the line, he married my mother. And when they were really young, I mean, my sister was, was, uh, is two years older than me. So when they were 23 or 24, they decided that they were going to raise their little family in the ways of God. And then my father uh, died, as I've mentioned. And then my mother continued to make sure that we were raised in the faith. And then my mother married uh, my stepfather, whom I love dearly and, and is my dad today. And he and my mom committed to raising us and my brothers in the ways of the Lord. Jody and I have made the commitment to raise Alexander and Margot in the ways of the Lord. And if by God's grace they have children, it is our hope and our prayer that they raise their children in the ways of the Lord. My story is anchored in the story of God. And it goes all the way back to a young 20-something father just years before he died deciding to raise his young family in the ways of the Lord. I cannot encourage you enough to start and anchor your family in the story of God. Let me encourage you. Launch your own Facebook page. Now, I, you heard me right. Not Facebook page, but Facebook. Brian's laughing over there. Facebook. F-A-I-T-H-B-O-O-K. Launch your own Facebook page. Write down for your children and your grandchildren your story of faith. Anchor them in the gospel of Jesus. So another way we can have generational impact is to embrace an I-cubed strategy. No, Brian, I didn't say an ice-cubed strategy. I said I-cubed as in I to the three. Uh, there are three uh, words here that begin with I. The first one is impress. Moses tells the people of Israel that they are to impress the faith upon the hearts of their children. The word impress means to, to make a mark using a stamp or seal. It also means to move someone to a place of admiration and respect. So what does Moses suggest as the best way to impress children in the faith? The best way to imprint the faith on the heart. Verse 6 says, These commands, the ways of God, are to be upon your hearts. They're to be upon your hearts first, then impress them on your children. At OTCC, we want to partner with parents and grandparents in the journey of teaching children and grandchildren. But what you can do at home by modeling the faith is absolutely critical. Faith matters. Faith matters are far more often caught than taught. Role models in the faith. Kids are watching. So the question is, will they see a positive influence or a negative influence? I remember once hearing a, a toddler swear in the grocery store, and then the parent said in a really loud voice so all the other adults could hear, 
around, where did you learn that? Well, you know where that child learned that. Uh, from the time uh, he was 15, uh, I used to, even when we lived in Richmond, I would bring Alexander up to Nationals games. And one year we were at a Nats game, and uh, in the third or fourth inning, the Nats always recognized the, the veterans uh, who were in attendance. And uh, so they started to do this. I stood up and started clapping, and Alex was sitting beside me, and he stood up and started clapping. And then he looked at me and said, what are we clapping for? But he was clapping because I was clapping. I went on to tell him uh, that we were standing up for uh, the veterans and thanking them for their service. And ever since, he's always stood up. And actually, ever since, he has always donated some money to a homeless vet uh, outside the stadium when he sees them. Or another example, you've heard the old uh, fire drill, stop, drop, and roll. Well, Jody is a stop, drop, and pray type of Christian. If she hears about something, she'll just say, let's pray about it right now. And this is rubbed off on our daughter, Margo, who will frequently hear about something and just say, let's just stop, drop, and pray right now. Now, I don't offer these examples from our home to lift us up at all, but just to remind you of how you can influence the faith and values of your children in everyday life. No one's perfect. And there are no perfect parents or grandparents. But we are called to mirror and to model an authentic, genuine faith. Which means admitting when we make mistakes. It means responding with loving and grace-oriented discipline when our kids blow it. It means leaning on God in the great times and the not-so-great times. So impress the faith on your children. Model it so they can see it. The next uh, I word is integrate. Moses tells them to talk about the commands and promises when you sit down and walk along the road, at home and away, and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, morning, noon, and night. Just integrate the faith in every opportunity that you have. Faith is not meant to be left in the abstract. It is meant to be applied constantly through everyday life situations. Our faith impacts every nook and cranny of our lives, doesn't it? How do you teach faith in the moment? Boy, I would love for some of you to, to email me, some of you parents and grandparents, and just share some ways. And if you want to, and if you have time in the chat room right now so that others can be blessed, uh, just offer suggestions about how you teach faith in the moment uh, in everyday life situations. Uh, but one of the the attitudes I would suggest is to ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear what he is teaching in everyday life situations. Another time-honored way is to memorize scripture and to keep the promises of God close at heart because as you are able to do this, uh, when you're out and when you're uh, uh, out with your children or your grandchildren or your nieces or nephews and a situation comes up, often it's through the memory of scripture uh, that you're able to hear uh, and, and, and able to apply it uh, to children. It's interesting, I, I read a stat once, 95% of Amish children stay Amish. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible, Brian? 95% of Amish children stay Amish. One of the reasons is that every Amish child is raised with a commitment to three books. One is the Bible, 
The second one is the Amish hymnal, where they learn to sing theology. And the third is a book called The Martyr's Mirror, which is a story of Anabaptist martyrs, where they have an opportunity to learn from the heroes of the faith. And the other way I would suggest to integrate is to find faith connections with your child's unique interests. So, for example, uh, if you have a child that that is extremely artistic, a, a, a course like art and spirituality, or if you have a child that is, is deeply involved in athletics, a fellowship of Christian athletes, and so on and so on. There are ways that you can take your child's unique interest or your grandchild's unique interest and begin to integrate the faith. The last I word is illustrate. Moses then uh, encouraged the people to tie the commands on their hands and on their foreheads, write them on the door frames of their houses. What he's saying here is on your hands and foreheads was a constant reminder to daily prayer for the constant reminder of God's word and the need for prayer. Now, I am not suggesting at all that you go out and sew a fish on every suit, shorts, you have pants, blouses, whatever you call them, and buy a bunch of Christian art uh, for your yard and your home. But what Moses is saying here is make the internal commitment an external reality in your life. Let me say that again. Make the internal commitment of faith an external reality in your life. Demonstrate your faith through word and deed. So as Brian mentioned earlier, over the last six weeks, we've given away uh, here, we've distributed here about 55,000 pounds of food. Would that be an accurate estimate, Brian? 55,000 pounds of food. We at Old Town Community Church, we believe God cares about those who are hungry. At Old Town Community Church, we believe in our heart that God has called us to do something about eradicating hunger in our city. And so we have, by God's grace, been able to distribute 55,000 pounds of food. That is taking a belief and an attitude and a command from Scripture and putting it into action. And so we want to illustrate the faith in word and in deed. Generation to generation. Transmitting the faith gives us that incredible privilege, incredible opportunity to touch the future for the glory of God and the blessing of others. May God give you all that you need to touch the future and to be a blessing for generations to come. Amen and amen. Let's pray and close our service. God, we do, we lift up this incredible call that you've placed in our lives to impact our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, those younger generations that you have put in our lives to, to have an impact upon. Lord, we lift up this call and we ask that you would find us faithful. Lord, we ask that you would give us all that we need by your grace to have this kind of impact 
Lord, we know and, and we lift up and we just offer prayers of confession and we ask for your forgiveness for those times when we weren't good examples. And Lord, we know we all have them. And so Lord, we lift these examples before you and we ask for your covering, your mercy, and your forgiveness. But Lord, your power comes to us and your power comes to us by your grace and we know that your power can turn our stories around. And so Lord, for for even for those moments when we weren't good examples, Lord, you can turn that story around and you can give us the opportunity and the ability to have such a powerful impact on the future. And so Lord, I ask for this today. I ask for this for every single person, for every single family in our congregation and those of our friends who, who are watching. And I pray that you would help us to be mindful of the impact we have for generations to come, that you'd help us to live like it matters and you'd give us all we need to be a positive influence for you, for the sake of our children and their children's children. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.